This was a, an interesting week for me. I had a friend um, who texted in an emergency and said, hey, his grandparent had died uh, and he was mourning and grieving. Um, and when he came back, he was sharing about some of the futility that he felt and trying to care for and minister to his family and to his grandparent who was still alive. Um, some of the, just the, the utter depth of grief that his family was experiencing. And a couple of days later, um, I got a call from one of our Pathways family and, and they asked me to go visit um, with a, a saint in one of our local nursing homes. And it just so happened that I was the only Pathways pastor here in town. I won't use the word abandoned or <laughs> thrown under the bus. I won't use those terms. You know, but I'm a student pastor. Like, I, you know, I plan lock-ins and Nerf games. And yes, I will go and pray with an elderly saint. And just the, the countenance, uh, the mixed countenance of the staff that were with him and his friends and the joy and the sadness combined. It was, I'm obviously got this message on my heart. And I'm thinking about the phrase, poor in spirit. And I'm thinking about those who are with us, who are poor in spirit. Those maybe who we kind of felt a poke. Maybe we should have maybe invited them to be here with us because we feel like maybe they're poor in spirit. Maybe there are some of us here who would ascribe to that definition. Maybe it's the threat of temptation overwhelming us or financial, economic hardship, medical, natural disaster, marital, relational. When I say the phrase, poor in spirit, who comes to mind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am constantly amazed at the level of access that you give to us. That you are not the distant God who set the world in motion and left it behind. You're not the unknowable God. You're not the uncaring God. But you're the God who answers and hears. And you are the God who is here with us intimately. Not in a distant sort of way, but with every single one of us by name. By thought and by instant, you are with us as our God. And you affect our lives in ways that we're not even aware of. But for which we say thank you. We worship you. And all the people of God said. So the structure for today, we're just going to break apart this verse and just dig into each part of it. And we'll just take it in pieces. And so the first part is this. Blessed. Um, and I confess to you, I have a sort of, I don't know, pet peeve is kind of a strong word, but I try very hard to remove all churchiness from my language. Right? When I'm speaking with teenagers, or I'm speaking with friends who don't know, it just sounds weird to use what we call Christianese, right? How blessed was your day? 
tends to put my non-Christian friends off. <laughs> um, I am so blessed. And people are like, what does that even mean? Um, it's a difficult word to translate into our common everyday experience, right? Um, and this Greek word that is in this verse, um, it's almost, there's almost no direct translation. In fact, the Bible translation that we use that we would say probably most is the most unchurchy, the message, still keeps the word blessed in it because they couldn't figure out how to say it either. So I thought maybe we'd try. So uh, turn to your neighbor and just introduce yourself by name. Don't talk about your meal or the outfits. Just go right into this. Give them your best explanation of blessed in your words. Go, 15 seconds. Bring it back. It works better with a youth group because I can eavesdrop on what they're saying and then I can refer back, but I couldn't hear what you were saying. Um, it's hard, right? It's hard to describe what this is. It's hard to explain. It's hard to rephrase this. But however you described blessed, it probably had two ingredients. The first one was that it was a gift from God. Something from God, right? It had this ingredient. And the second ingredient being that it was a good gift and we wanted that. And so as we start this verse, you start off with this desire. God is saying, what I'm about to say, you're going to want. Blessed. And all of his first century listeners, went, oh, okay, there's a prize coming. I want to pay attention. It's kind of like if you say to me, Jonathan, we want to invite you for dinner. And I'm like, oh, yes, there's something good coming my way. And then you expect to hear, blessed are the wealthy, or the good-looking, or the famous, or... You know, but Jesus turns things on his head all the time. And so the phrase that follows after this blessed made no sense to me, and I had to dig into it. Um, and I was just honestly confused, and I felt a little embarrassed about that as a pastor. Like, I should probably know what that means. Um, and so I had to dig, and I had to study, and I had to pray. So that I thought I would share with you what I found. Who are the poor in spirit? When I say that phrase, I think of students who are maybe in a hospital because they're unfortunately hurting themselves or cutting themselves or something. Certainly they qualify as being poor in spirit those struggling with depression or cancer or medical, those certainly fit inside the category of being poor in spirit. We might say that uh, there was one time when I, had, I was out of work for seven, eight, almost two years, I was definitely poor in spirit. There are some of us going through marital troubles, some of us going through death, mourning. These are all obvious descriptions of those who might be poor in spirit. But the problem is we have the blessed begin before it, right? So when Jesus says blessed, we're supposed to want it. But the phrase that follows is poor in spirit. And so those two things, it's kind of like, don't make sense. And so I started to wonder, well, like, maybe I can qualify by, like, kind of fudging it. Like, where is the scale or the balance of being poor in spirit? Like, okay, I know all my friends that we mentioned before, 
But, you know, I've been having a really bad day. So I'm poor in spirit. Does that count? Yeah, maybe. I'm upset that the Marvel movies are not as great as I thought they were, so I'm, up, I'm just poor in spirit. Yeah, um, dinner did not turn out the way I thought it was going to be. I am just poor in spirit. Um, wow, how, where's that line? Where's that scale? How do we qualify for this blessing that Jesus is about to tell us that we qualify for? So today we're going to be inside the languages. And I looked at the underlying phrase, and I was surprised to find that there's no scale in the Greek. That the sense of this phrase, poor in spirit, it has a connotation of absoluteness, of totalness. A first century Jesus listeners heard it in such a way where it was like, those of you who are completely destitute of spirit, those of you who are wretchedly absent of spirit, those of you who are completely empty, you are blessed. Let me put it this way. If you are completely empty of spirit, then you need God. This is a no-brainer for us. But then the opposite is, well, if I am not empty, well, then I must be full. When I guess if I need God here, but if I'm full, then I guess I don't need God over here. So the opposite of this is someone who wouldn't cry out to God. The opposite of being poor in spirit is someone who is self-reliant, is full of their own, is not humble, does not cry out to God. I, whatever it is, it is not being completely in need of who God is. And the blessedness is only here, not in this fullness. Now that didn't really make much sense to me either, so I had to do some more research. And so I went to the Old Testament, and I found a couple of verses, and it's uh, my sacrifice in Psalm 51. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. That kind of echoes this emptiness. And then it's echoed in the New Testament. So it's not just the Old Testament, it's also the New Testament. Again, in Matthew, a little bit later, in Matthew 9, he says this. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. The old skins would burst from the pressure. It spills all the wine and it ruins the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. And so if you put all these little pieces together, and by the way, I should just tell you right offhand. The way my brain works is not linear. <laughs> you can probably tell right now. Um, I don't usually go from A to B to C. It's more like A to X, and then I come back to B, and then Z, and then, oh, it all kind of makes sense. Um, so I put all these different pieces together. And I started to realize, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? Anyone who calls out to God. Anyone who has found sin in their life unbearable. Anyone who has said, I cannot do this on my own. We qualify as being poor in spirit. Everyone inside the kingdom of God, everyone who calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior would qualify as being poor in spirit and therefore we are all blessed. And that's what rocked me for a little bit. I had no idea this passage was talking to me and all of a sudden I thought, I'm blessed. I get whatever reward is coming. <laughs> 
but we cannot be filled until we are first empty. We cannot by effort, we cannot by force of will make him bless us, nor do we have to. Right? For many of us, this is a favorite verse in Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And being happy that I was now included inside this beatitude, I started to wonder, like, this is a little weird for Jesus to start off this way. And I thought maybe he was just talking to this group, like, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the next verse, you know, blessed are, what's next, meek or mourning or comforting, those who need uh, thirst. And maybe he's addressing, is this passage addressing eight different groups? which doesn't really make sense if the first one includes all of us. Are the Beatitudes eight different groups of people or eight different qualities of the same group of people? I don't actually know because I didn't prepare the rest of the messages for the rest of the series. I'm interested to see if that happens. Um, But at least for this first one, he's definitely addressing all of us. Okay, so if you're one of my students, you're like, okay, I'm following. I, I get the whole blessed thing, and I get the poor in spirit thing, and if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, then I count, and this is good. Um, but Jonathan, you still haven't really told us what that gift is, what that blessed part is. Well, it's like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we all say, thank you. That's great. I'm going to use that right. Uh, no, I'm going to put that Jesus right here. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm not sure what to do with this. It's like the gift from my little sister who she thinks it's hilarious to give me gifts with her face on them. A towel, a shirt, socks. She just puts her face on them and gives it to me as a gift. She thinks it's awesome. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. It's a little bit like Jesus is saying, here's his gift. And we're all like, can you tell us what it actually is? don't really get it. And so once again, we go to the scripture for some illumination. And if you Google this, or if you use Open Bible, you look up what is kingdom of heaven, or some phrases that are just like that, you'll find that this phrase comes up at least a hundred times in scripture. I didn't go through all of them. I went through a lot of them. But the thing is, one verse has it seems totally unrelated to what the other one is about the kingdom of heaven. And this description of the kingdom of heaven seems very different than this description for the kingdom of heaven. And it's kind of like Jesus is trying to explain this thing, and he's not. It's almost like, is he sure? Because he says, it's like this. And then the next passage, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he says, and it's also like this. And don't forget, it's like this. And none of these things, to me, it's like that story of the blind men and the elephant, you know, the... One's describing the legs, one's describing the trunk, one's describing the tail and the body, and, you know, put it together, you have an elephant, but independently, you have just little pieces that don't make sense to us. But the common thing among all these passages is this theological concept, it's already, but not yet. Have you heard of this? There's this concept in scripture called already, but not yet. We might describe it as, for those of you who are graduated fifth grade, 
You're going to middle school? You are middle schoolers, but not quite yet. Right? Like you're, you've done with grade school, but you're, you're middle school, but not really. Or those of you who have your permit for driver's licenses, you can drive, but not really yet, please. Maybe you're a returning college student from home. You're an adult when you're in college. You live on your own. You're fully adult. And then you come home, and you don't do your laundry or your dishes, and you leave your place, and like, you're an adult, but really not yet. <laughs> I'm very carefully not looking at anyone. <laughs> or we might say, it's kind of like in that soccer game. They were up 2-0, there was minutes, there was nothing, there was no time left, there was no way they were going to make this, Sweden was not going to come back from this game. The game was over, they had already won, they just had to play the rest of it out, so it was already won, but not yet. It's the same thing when we talk about the kingdom of heaven. It is here, and yet not yet. Uh, Jonathan helps me a little bit, but I'm still not really quite clear on what it is. Once again, for the last time today, I went to the languages. And I went to the Greek, and here, it's a, it's a, it was so subtle, but I caught it eventually. Okay, I read a commentary that pointed it out, but I want to claim credit for that. Um, <laughs> in this particular verse, in this particular phrasing, there is a nuance of flavor that describes the kingdom of heaven not so much as a condition or a place, but about the people. So there's something reflective about the kingdom of heaven and the people. When you are poor in spirit, you get to be called as one among the kingdom of heaven. When you are poor in spirit, you are blessed because the kingdom of heaven, the people, will then take care of you. So when we cry out to God and we say help and we say please and we say that we accept his gift, well then we are blessed. And the reward is that we get to be part of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to point this out to the kids in VBS this week. They get, I think they get little bracelets, it'll be on screen, it'll be, where do you see God? We're gonna call it God sightings. Where do you see God in your everyday? It's not enough to know that God is out there in the future, but he's also here right now, in our real life, every day and every moment. Can we help these children see that? Do we see that? In every day, in every moment, God is present. The imminence of God is vibrant with us. So it's at about this point that if you're one of my students and you feel comfortable with me, you would, you know, I've had students like, Jonathan, did you just spend 30 minutes explaining a verse that was basically the gospel? Well, yes. Yes, I did. Because I didn't know it was there. If you'd asked me a month ago, hey, Jonathan, is the gospel inside the Beatitudes? I mean, I probably would have said yes, because, I mean, all of scripture is the gospel. But I didn't know it. That in this, I wonder if this is the shortest gospel in the Bible. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is the gospel message. 
I didn't know that before. I thought it was so cool. I thought I'd share that with you. But still, I would have students look at me like, I get it, so what? And we would lovingly respond. Um, the passage that Dave read for us just a handful of minutes ago, Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, well, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's not like you see, no one treasures salt in and of itself. You don't put it on the pedestal and it's like, ooh, salt. <laughs> you use salt, right? Salt is there to make other things salty. So my last point is this. Go make others salty. And not like, don't make their life horrible, don't make them like bitter, you know. But relieve them. Relieve them of the burden. That is having to live life alone. That is not having a sense of hope. That is not having a sense of God who calls out to them by name. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for ours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's this thing about your Bible, about your word that drives me crazy and how it's a living and active sword and how if we keep looking at it, if we keep studying it, if we keep digging into it, then it keeps giving back and it keeps feeding us. I have read this passage, I don't know how many times in my life. I knew it as a kid. And yet it still feeds. Your word, this complex living thing, thank you for it. Thank you for your spirit being in it. Thank you for continually enlightening us and giving us new ways to worship you and to give thanks for you. But right now, I think of those faces of those I know who haven't yet cried out to you, who would not yet themselves say that they are poor in spirit. And I ask for a deeper love for them. I ask that you would motivate me to love them deeper, to have more God conversations with them, not to not to target and not to like notch on my belt because I love them and I care about them. Father, would you increase my love in such a way where I can have God conversations with them so that they too can be one of the kingdom. Thanks for your blessings. And all the people of God said,